As I was getting ready for church this morning, I think I was getting ready to have my breakfast and Tammy had a speaker on in the kitchen and it was playing that song and I came out and I was singing to it and it gets to that spot there about the all the other treasures and letting those things go because I'd rather have you and it took me to tears again because I know that's my heart's cry and I challenge everybody this morning that's listening. We sing those words but do we mean it? And if we really mean it, what do we do about that? Are we, are we really looking at the things that vie for our attention and all the other things that we pursue and try to stuff into our hearts to try to fill a void when what we really need is Jesus? And that's who we really need and that's who we really want. And I would just challenge you and encourage you to do those things and all the other things that we pursue. And, I, and, and to go a step further in that, even as we've been talking, um, as I lead into the message this morning, as we've been talking since the beginning of January and, and, and working our way into the Great Commission and trying to have God's heart and loving Him for all He is and getting involved in His agenda for us while we're here on earth, you realize that we can, we can do a lot of things that are even, it says what we're supposed to do in the Bible, but our motive can be completely wrong. Why, why do we share the gospel with people? Why do we feel we should share the gospel with people? Does it because it makes me feel better? Does it make me feel like I've checked a box? Or am I doing it for the glory of God? Am I doing it because it's His heart that no one would perish? And I think we all have to do some soul searching on that one. Because, you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and read your Bible, you know the great commission Jesus says to go into all the world and make disciples and to teach them all that I've commanded you to do. And He's promised to be with us in that. But even knowing that, we still can do that from a very self-centered approach. Because we have this nagging thought in the back of us, if we don't do that, is God going to love me as much? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And there's, there's a challenge in that. And it brings us, drives us back, hopefully, to relationship with God first and foremost. That we pursue that relationship with everything there is within us and everything flows out of that. I, th- I think sometimes, too, we get this mistaken view of Jesus when He walked the earth. That from the moment he woke up and to the moment he went to bed at night, he knew exactly what he was going to do all the time. And it was always, 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 always preaching, teaching of that. I have a feeling that there were a lot of the miracles he did, the interactions he had with people, was while he was on his way somewhere and he came across somebody and the Spirit of God fell in that moment and he interacted with the person. I really think that happened. And you know... That's something you and I can relate to. Because even after we leave this place today, we'll go somewhere. Maybe it's home. Maybe tomorrow you'll get up and you'll go to work and that's where you're going, but on the way you'll run into a friend or a coworker or a, a person at the gas station. An opportunity comes. And I want to, hopefully we can get in our mind, in our heart, that realistically, this world, that we said in that song, this world is not our home. This is not where we belong. As followers of Christ, our residence, our citizenship is in heaven. And we are aliens and strangers in this world. And yes, we have to do certain things while on earth. If you don't have a job, if you don't do something, you're not going to have a place to stay and you're not going to have food to eat. So we have to go through certain things. But our Father in heaven has told us that if we seek Him first, put Him first, and pursue Him in our lives He'll add those other things to us. He'll take care of our, where we should stay. He'll take care of making sure we have things to eat, clothes on our back, and our needs are met if we put Him first. And what he's, I think what He really wants us to recognize is that if we put Him first, our career is no longer our career. Our job is no longer an end in of itself. It's a tool that He uses simply to meet our physical need and as a platform to shine for Him. If I could, I wish I could... I wish I could flip a switch in all of us to help us to recognize that that thing that we've given our whole life to, maybe education-wise and pursuing and getting better and pursuing that place in your career, it's only an avenue that God has given us as a platform to shine for Him and a tool that He uses to take care of all those other things in our life. So when you go to work tomorrow, or when you do go to a, a, a gathering of a meeting or a club you're involved with, I challenge all of us to think through that you're not there for the reasons that your flesh or your humanity would say you are. You are there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to shine for Him. And the moment that we stray from that and think that that's the end in and of itself, 
we have denied the fact that we are aliens and strangers in this world and our citizenship is truly in heaven. We get too comfortable here. Now, I told you I was going to do this two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It's been three weeks, hasn't it? Three weeks ago today. I was going to ask you, how'd you do on your homework? If I was a teacher right now, I would start right now as, okay, take your homework out, pass it forward, and I'd collect it. I can't do that because the homework wasn't written homework, but it was something. And I, I hate to say this, there's probably people this morning that don't even remember what the homework was. And that's probably a reflection on me somewhat. And some of you weren't here three weeks ago to know what that was. So I'll, I'll help you that. I ask you the question, the homework was, have you been praying daily for the people or the, per, the person or the people that you put on your list three week, years, weeks ago? And I'll get to that idea of what that is. The, what we did is three weeks ago we talked about who do you know in your life? Who does God bring to your mind that is somebody that either needs, doesn't know God at all, isn't walking with Him, doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and desperately needs that? Who does God bring to your heart? Put them on a list and pray for them daily. Have you been praying also in that message too? Have you been praying that God would send workers into the harvest field in our local community to share the good news of Jesus Christ? And have you been praying that you would actually be an answer to your own prayer? That you would be aware of opportunities and discernment and Holy Spirit empowerment to engage in spiritual conversations with the people that you come into contact with on a regular basis. That you wouldn't miss that moment in time where that person, you don't know it, but they're really searching and they're ripe for the right question or the right comment or the right discussion. If you don't follow any of that, I encourage you to go back. And this is one of the things we t Kurt's teaching on social media and technology is there's some really bad stuff out there. But it also makes it possible for people to listen in live this morning that can't be here in person. It also allows me to be able to say this, if you haven't listened, if you weren't here three weeks ago, go back on February 7th. Go to our website, go to the archive of messages, whether it's our podcast or our live streams, and listen to the message on February 7th, and it'll explain those things. And again, referring to the fact that this mess series of messages started on the first weekend in January. So go back and listen to the ones you didn't get because it'll make a lot more sense. I am convinced that God is constantly trying to tell us things. He's constantly trying to reveal things to us. He's constantly trying to, to encourage, to love us, and then to challenge us to walk deeper in the things that He's called us to do. Don't ever, forget, don't ever think you just come to church by chance. Well, you make a choice, yes. But God has a purpose for all of us being here and it is, yes, to enjoy each other's company, to, to sing some good songs, but it's because God has messages for us. He has things He's trying to impart to us. Okay? Um, actually, we're going to pause right now for a second. And so, I will admit this, that while I was on vacation in Florida for that week, I found myself not being really great at praying on those things every day. I forgot. I would forget and realize, you know, I, 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 it slips my mind. And so it take, it's work to develop a habit of, of those kinds of prayer things. So let's stop right now. Whether you prayed for the person this morning or not, let's just bow our heads for a second. Think of those people in your life that need to know Jesus Christ, and let's just pray that God would, have a, would, would, would impact them and, and, and they'd have a soft heart. Heavenly Father, as we bring these people by name to You, we ask that You would work in their lives, Lord. Lord, again, that the thing that, 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 that human beings long for the most and need the most, without even re realizing it, is, is relationship with You. We were built for relationship with You. And I pray that the people that have been mentioned this morning would find that. And Lord, we ask go a step further. Can You use people like us to help them walk in that relationship. We give that to you and ask that you would work in it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, another thing I put up three weeks ago was this diagram. It's just a diagram that we came across back in March of last year. 
that kind of makes the Great Commission maybe a little easier pictorially to look at. We talked three weeks ago about that, the importance of the one, which is God goes after, leaves the 99 and goes after the one, that his heart is for people to come to Christ. You can see at the center. And then the three things around that, the life-changing events, life-changing relationships, and life-changing sacrifices. Um, I have a question as you look at that. As you look at that. Um, what's repeated in that diagram? What? Say it. Life-changing. Life-changing. Okay. We're going to take a look today at that idea of life-changing because it's integral to this whole idea of the Great Commission doing it. And then over the next, after the, and the next three weeks after that, or three or four, whatever it takes, we'll take a week, at least a week on each one of these different categories and kind of talk about what do they mean? What does that look like for us as individuals? What does it look like for the people around us? What does it look like for us as a church? Okay. <clears throat> so before we bounce any farther into the message this morning, it's story time. Story time. So we'll just take a break for a second. We're going to have some story time. <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. Thank you. Have you ever had cheese and crackers for a snack? Or maybe you took a picnic uh, lunch? Maybe that's all you had for, to eat for the entire day. Three days. What if you had to go two weeks and eat nothing but cheese and crackers? There's an old story about a man in Europe who wanted to travel to the United States. In those days, the only way to get there was ocean liner. He worked hard, saved up his money, and finally put together enough money to buy a one-way ticket. He then bought a suitcase and filled it with cheese and crackers. That would be his food for the three-week journey. It was all he could afford. The ship set sail, mealtime came, all the other passengers went into the large dining hall to eat their meal. The man went to his suitcase, took out cheese and crackers. Well, he could smell the delicious aromas coming from meal being served. He went to a corner and ate his cheese and crackers. After the meal, he heard some of the passengers talk about how full they were. The poor man really wanted to join the others in the dining hall, but he had no extra money. Sometimes he would lie awake at night dreaming of food. Toward the end of the trip, another man came up to him, said, Sir, I can't help but notice that each time a meal is served, you go over to that corner and eat cheese and crackers. Why don't you come into the banquet hall and eat with us? The traveler was embarrassed, but finally stammered out, Well, to tell you the truth, I only had enough money to buy the ticket. There was no money left for the meals. The other passenger raised his eyebrows in surprise and said, why, don't you realize the meals were included in the price of the ticket? Your meals have already been paid for. Well, that man was me. I was so shocked and disappointed at realizing those wonderful meals were mine to enjoy. In the waste of precious money, I still have much of it I, I still don't have much, but I have much more than I had then. And to think that I spent all it on cheese and crackers was unnecessary. What a waste. 
If I'd only known that food was there for me, if I had allowed myself to seek out information on this ticket and what it included, how could I have failed to know this? How could I have missed such a valuable information? Well, I was so focused on what I thought to be true that I totally missed the huge blessing of all that was included in my ticket. I so wanted to get to the United States. When I saw how much the ticket cost, I was so overwhelmed in scraping the money together that I failed to, to give my thought to what all was included. I was raised to believe that nothing is free in life. Anything worth having requires sacrifice. Well, that's all in the past, but you can be assured that I look at things different now. Years later, when I traveled back to Europe to visit, I enjoyed the full meals and all was included in my ticket. That was the best food I ever had. I'm so glad that this time I knew it was included in my ticket. It was more expensive than I could possibly afford. That has caused me to look at my life and wonder where else I have failed or am failing to experience all that is available to me. As humans, we have a tendency, and I, think, I don't think anybody's immune to this. Uh, it's probably true more of some than others, depending on where they're at in, in their journey with God. But we tend to walk through life here on earth either completely failing to see the reality of what we were actually built for, or only seeing it dimly. You see, as a human being, we were not really built for the temporalness, the temporary, limitless, li the limits that are put on us as humans because of our physicalness. We were built and designed to be eternal beings. Let me look at a, let's look at a couple of scriptures uh, that, that, that talk about this idea of us either seeing dimly or not fully grasping. Um, the entirety of what God has for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And that then part they're talking about, that's when we cross from this life to the next, either through death or Jesus returning, returning that we will truly see things for the way they really are. Um, also in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, this isn't the message, maybe a little easier way to understand it. It says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it as, uh, all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. I really think, you know, a lot of people say, when I get to heaven, I've got a list of questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to tell you right now, you might think you do, but when you get to heaven, you'll instantaneously know the answers to that, and you will see the fullness of all those things you wondered about, and then a hundred zillion things beyond that, that will, I would say, would blow our minds, but no, it won't, because if we're redeemed people in heaven, we will have a knowledge that we were originally meant to have to understand all those things. In First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no one's heart has imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. What that is saying is, you can see things with your eyes, you can hear things with your ears, and your human heart can, can maybe take some things in, but our human heart, our human eyesight, and our physical hearing is not enough to grasp even begin to grasp all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him and are committed to Him. You see, you and I were made for a lot more than just the life that we live here on this earth. If all you do every day is get up and go to work and then long for the time when you're done with work so you can go home, 
and do whatever. Maybe it's have a drink at night or whatever you do at night to, to unwind. And then, you know, th- that day, then you're living for what? Well, those days bleeding, you're living for the weekend when you've got a couple days you could do things. And then you're living for the next time you can go on vacation. If that's all you're doing, you are totally missing what God built you for. That is so far removed from the things that He's prepared for those. That's a drudgery life that most of the world and most of humanity is stuck in. And Jesus came to redeem us and show us something different. You and I were made for way more than that. Way more than that. Uh, There's a song that we're going to sing at the end of the service today. It's called Thrive. And there's a line in that song that says this. We know we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. Do you realize that just by the nature of people finding themselves in drudgery, unsatisfied in their daily routine, don't like their job, are maybe even tired of their marriage, all the different things that people say they're frustrated with, do you realize that that aspect of humanity is crying out in an admission that I was made for something more? In fact, we often say it. There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. And the answer to that is aloud, amen, yes there is. The line says this, We know that we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive because we were made to thrive. I want to tell you that God's intention for a human being was not that they would just make it or just survive all that life comes their way. We were built to thrive in life. This is why you and I need life-changing things. That life-changing message that's in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is meant to bring life-changing things in our own lives and the lives of others. Things that, the life-changing things, things and events and situations and circumstances that will loudly declare and will pierce our humanity to help us to recognize what we were actually built for. Things that come along and give us experience. Actually, experience with what abundant life is. We, have this, we can have momentary situations or a lengthy experience where we can feel true life inside of us welling up. You and I need life-changing things. Things that bring spiritual life change within us. Now, I want to go back to the beginning. When I say the beginning, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis to kind of lay a little foundation of this idea of what we were built for in life and thriving. It'll show us what God actually intended. Because again, as I was preparing this this week and I'm sitting back in my, up in my office, sitting in my chair, I've been reading scriptures and putting things together in notes. And at one point I just rocked back in the chair and sat there and thought and meditated for a bit. And what came across my mind was that as humans, and this is not, even if you're following Christ and are devoted to Him, it's true of you as well. It's definitely even more so true in a big way for a person that's not even walking with Christ. That, that we walk through our day-to-day life and get so entrapped in all the things that we need to do, that we do need to do, that we completely, at times, become incoherent and lose sight to the God factor, to what He built us for to what His purpose is, to what the reality of who we really are and what we're built. So we're going to go back now and see what God intended. We have gotten very used to walking in a sin-stained world. That's the only world, the only life we've ever known that oftentimes, even as followers of Christ, we forget that that's not the way it was supposed to be at the beginning. That's not what God intended for human beings to have to endure. But God gave us some pictures early on, of what it should have been like, what it should be like. He also gives us pictures of what it will be like someday. And he tells us what it can be like even now. We can get a glimpse of that. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It talks about man becoming a living being. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And the man became a living being. There may be people in the room that don't believe that verse. Say, no, that's not how it happened. I evolved from an ape. 
That's, that's been, I'm going to tell you right now, that whole idea of that level of evolutionary thought, you've got to realize my background, if you don't know me, I was a math teacher for years. I've studied some science. I'm not a biologist, none of those things there. There are certain aspects of evolution that are true, but the fact that you and I evolved from an ape, not true. Not true. And actually, that seed has been planted in humanity by our enemy, the devil, who's trying to to rob us of the actual truth about who we're to be in God and what He made us to be. This one tells us how it actually happened, that God actually took the things of the earth and He made Adam, the first man, a physical body, but He didn't become a living being until the next part, which was separated Him from the animals, separated from all other creation, created, created things. He knelt down. And he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And it says at that moment he became a living being. At that moment, God actually breathed his very spirit, God's very spirit into Adam. And it's interesting, if you go through Scripture, that spirit that God breathed, the spirit of God, that spirit is actually what imparts spiritual life and spiritual wisdom in human beings. You don't get spiritual life from a human being by being born by your parents, by natural procreation. You don't get spiritual wisdom by reading books and studying. It can be a part of that, but it requires the Spirit of the living God to bring you spiritual life, and then it requires the Spirit of the living God to bring revelation and insight into the things that you read in the Bible for you to develop spiritual wisdom. Man... In that idea, when it says this idea of what I have highlighted there, man became a living being. Mankind, man, man and women, people, human beings were meant to live, ready? This is how they were meant to live in their original design in the Garden of Eden, which was the way it was supposed to be. They were meant to live prosperously. That idea of thriving with abundance, more than enough. And they were meant to live that way for how long? forever without end and immediately we have two disconnects because i know right now that there's no human being that truly lives prosperously in the earth outside of those who have come to christ and have yielded their life to him you say what about the billionaires they're prosperous financially but i'll bet you if they don't follow christ you can scratch the surface and you will get to a spot where they would admit that there are areas of life that they're very empty in that money doesn't fill when God designed human beings to live prosperously, that was a broad, full thing, meeting every need of life, including the eternal ones. And the idea of living forever, I can't even get my head wrapped around what forever means because everything I have in my life has a limitation on it, has a beginning and has an end. But you and I were built in that moment that God breathed life. In, we don't even realize it right. Do you realize that you are an eternal being? Do you realize that you are an eternal being? That you will live forever? You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I have disconnect here. Yeah, you're going to live forever. The bottom line is when you die or Jesus returns, that life will continue in one of two states. You will either live eternally with your heavenly Father in heaven because you've walked with Christ and you've made Him Lord of your life, and you will be in paradise for heaven, or you will live eternally forever separated from Him in hell, in judgment. There's only two options. Uh, I remember, I think when, as growing up as a kid in Sunday school, I thought that eternal life only meant that people who accepted Christ were going to live forever. No, even those that don't accept Christ are going to live forever, but it's a, it's a life of punishment and, and separation from God, which is a bad thing. Man was meant to live prosperously forever, eternal life, a vigorous and full life, not a mundane existence. Man was meant to have a passion and a vitality throughout life for all things. For the physical world, uh, their humanity and all those things. There, But even beyond that, they were meant to have a vitality and a passion for spiritual things. And isn't it interesting that in the life that we now live here on this earth as human beings, oftentimes spiritual things are an afterthought. They're not the main thing. We are so wrapped up in the physical things and the the emotional things and all that stuff there that we tend to overlook and insulate ourselves from spiritual things and don't even go there. But we were meant 
to be passionate and vital and involved in spiritual things from day one. The appetites, the desires, and the passions that reside within us as humans, those things were all intended at the very beginning, the way they were created. They were intended, your passion, your desire, your motivations were designed by God initially to drive you to spiritual things, to relationship with Him, to spiritual matters. You see, as, as people, we were built in, our, in, in the way God designed us. We were built and designed to long for God. To long for His presence. To be desperate and needy and wanting to be and can't wait to be in His presence like you know, if you, if you had, it's a bad example because some people didn't have good examples. I actually had an excellent relationship with my grandparents. And I used to long to be able to go and spend the night at Grandma and Grandpa's house because I got spoiled. And it was wonderful. I was the center. And I loved to go there. I even went there as a young adult in the 20 years of age and spend the night, spend two days, three days just conversing. I longed to be able to be in their presence. We're built as humans, realistically, deep down inside, built to be longing for God's presence to be with Him. We're, we're also built to have a longing for His law and His truth. It sounds like a crazy thing when King David in the Psalms writes, oh, I can't get enough of your law. And immediately we think of Leviticus as saying, man, you're a kook. How can you get so excited and long for the law? You've got to realize, David wasn't talking about, you know, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do Oh, that was part of it. His concept of the law was the Scripture. God's truth that had been recorded at that point. And he's simply saying, my soul longs for your truth, for the reality. Kurt teaching about social media and the things that go out there and, and the fake this and the fake that and how do you know what the truth is. I'm telling you, we live in an age where increasingly, because of all the untruth around us, you know what's starting to shine more and more and more is the truth of God because it never changes. And it's something that can be held up and you can prove it by going in here and reading about it and the Spirit reveals it to you. It's the truth. And we're built to long. Human beings are longing for truth. Long for facts. Long for what's real. Well, you know what? The only thing that truly is true and that truly is real that's going to stand the test of time? God's eternal truth. As human beings, we were built with a longing for things to be right. What does that mean? Where we'd have no worry of food, clothing, or shelter. That we would be in close contact with God at all times with no barriers, no separation whatsoever. That we would be free of all the junk and all the garbage and all the difficulties that happen in this world that bring us pain, the death, the anger, the shame, the pain, the depression, etc. There's a reason that we have angst and anxiety around things that cause that because we were built to have things right around us. What do you mean? Take a look. It's a very short in the Bible. I don't know how long. We don't know how long it was after God created Adam and then created Eve that they lived in paradise where everything was right, where they weren't separated ever from God's presence, that they had no want for anything. They lived prosperously and were beginning to live a forever life. We don't know how long that lasted. But as you start reading that, meditate for a second on that. Think about what it would have been like. Even, even let your mind go to things that might make you uncomfortable at first, but you're an adult. The fact that they were naked and not ashamed. Kurt was talking today in social media how the pressure on us to, to dress a certain way, to have the right body style, to be the correct height, the correct weight, to have the right hair color, the right hairstyle, the right clothing, all those things there... You know what that is? It's because you and I could never be naked, not ashamed right now. It's a part of the fall. Adam and Eve were naked, and I, you know, the artists, the artists that draw that, the, the classical artists, they always wrote it with the body style. That was popular at the time that they were there. And that has changed throughout the years. Who knows what they actually looked like in their physical bodies? Adam and Eve were. You know the best time in life? You know when the best time in life actually was, aside from being a Christian? The best time in life 
was when you were innocent as a child before you became self-aware. And there is a time period. I don't know when that ends, but when kids are young, they don't, they don't care what people think about them. That's why they stand over in the corner sometimes and do their sing-song, dancey kind of things and do crazy stuff like that, talk to themselves and all that stuff there. If they were an adult, people would pick on them. But with kids, it's cute. That's a glimpse also of the innocence of childhood. That's what we were built to be like. All that other stuff that happens when we become self-aware is part of the fall. Think on that. Take some time to think on what it would have been like to live on pre-sin earth in the Garden of Eden without a want for anything and have this perfect... What would it have been like to been able to walk and talk with God face to face whenever you wanted to? What would that have been like? What would it be like that to not really ever understand or know what hunger is? Or the fact that you had to be careful about how much you ate because you'd gain too much weight. Because that's what pre-earth, pre-sin earth was like. We could, you could spend hours just meditating on all the things that you're entrapped in. That's not what you were made for. You see, here's the issue. That life that God designed human beings for, man, people have forfeited that life. And I want to just... Knock you off your high horse right now. Knock me off high horse because the initial thing is, well, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. Not true. And I say, you say, well, how can you say that? You don't know me. Have you ever done anything wrong? Ever? Have you ever done anything wrong? And if you answer yes, which everybody has to because everybody's done something wrong, then you would have eaten the apple. You would have. And in that moment, the fact that I would have eaten the apple and you would have eaten the apple and Adam and Eve did eat the apple, in that moment, we forfeited. We forfeited that perfect spiritual and eternal life. It's not somebody else did it. I did it. You did it. And when that happened, what we call sin, it caused the removal of human beings from that perfect place. We actually see it illustrated and told how it happened in the Garden of Eden, which is a picture, again, it actually happened that way, but it's a picture of the same thing that happens to you and I because of our fallen state. If you look at what it says, when God came down, first off, Adam and Eve hid because they didn't want anybody to know, and then they talked to God, there was a lot of blame that went on and everything else, and God called a spade a spade. You did what I told you not to do, and now there's a price to be paid for this. The curse comes down, and then he goes a step further, and it says, I must remove them from this perfect paradise place because they no longer can be there because if they did, this is God's mercy if you want to see it in action. He says because if they stayed there, they would reach out and they would eat from the tree of life and continue to live forever in this state. And God was saying, I will not curse, there was judgment that needed to occur, but I will not relegate human beings to have to live in that state forever. And even at that moment, He came up with a plan where that perfect life could be restored. So he removed them from the garden and prevented their going back there again. So as human beings, we're banned from that spot where we never worry about food or clothing or shelter. We were banned from that spot where we could be in close contact with God at all times. We were banned from being insulated and protected and never having to experience the junk that comes from a sin-stained world. We experience pain, death, shame, depression, discouragement, anxiety, lack of hope, all those things because we forfeited it when we sinned. So again, we're all in need of life-changing things. The Bible tells us in Romans in a couple places, I'll quote here, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In another spot it says, For the wages of sin is death, which is the opposite of spiritual, full, 
eternal life. It clearly states that, that everybody has sinned, and a result of that sin is death, which is the opposite of what we were built for. So there, that's, we were built for this, we forfeit it through sin, feels like we're stuck, doesn't it? No, we're not stuck, okay? Good news is this, that Jesus brought the restoration of that perfect life again. In John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let me read that again. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Think again. This is Jesus saying that. Who's Jesus? Jesus is God's own Son, part of the, 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 tri, the, 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 the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. He has God's Spirit dwelling within Him, but yet, the, the interesting thing, He's also fully man. But as Jesus is speaking about this, He tells us the truth. He says that the idea here that this thief, who is He talking about? Is He talking about a thief with a mask on? She's talking about somebody, a bank robber, that puts a, a, a hat over his head, that carries a gun. No, what he's actually referring to is the devil, Satan. So put that in there. Make it, Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want you to look at those words, steal, kill, and destroy. Think about our world. Steal. Okay, we immediately think of like going and grabbing something off the counter and not paying for it. That's one thing. But do you realize the enemy also has come to do way more than just cause people to steal in that way? He comes directly to try to steal everything that God intended for the human being, spiritually speaking, to take that away. Parable of the sower. Seeds cast. Some of it fell where? On the hard path. What did the devil do? The bird that comes along does what? Snatches it, steals it before what can happen? Where it can actually grow. The devil is all about stealing and removing any chance, any hope, any opportunity for us to actually experience true spiritual life and to kill. I'll tell you right now, if the devil had what he wanted, he'd kill every single person before they come to Christ because he's so jealous of God and does not want people to walk with him. He would kill every single one. He'd kill, and the other thing is, you know what you do? Well, so that means if you come to Christ before that happens, you're safe. No, he'd kill you and I too because he also knows that you and I are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ and to lead other people into the kingdom. So he'd kill us so that we couldn't have an effect on people. He also works at killing any hope, any thinking, any real thing that would go on that would lead us or cause us to think about God. He tries to kill those things, snatch them and destroy them. But Jesus said, Jesus said, well, and the bottom line is because we live in a world like that, we grow very accustomed to the fact that that's what he does all the time. We get numb to it. We forget that it's actually going on. We just say that's the world is. That's the way things are. But yet, Jesus said, well, but I have come that they, who is that? People can have life. And not just have life, but have it to the full. Abundant. You see, Jesus came, and it's interesting, it's alluded to even in the middle of the curse back in Genesis 2. God had a plan right from the beginning, even though He had to bring punishment. There had to be wrath poured out on sin. There was a curse that came. It required it. But even in that moment, God had a plan of how He was going to restore to those that would willingly accept it, how He could restore that perfect spiritual eternal life to people again. And Jesus came thousands of years later and actually did what needed to be done. He came, He died on a cross, which we will be recognizing that event in the coming weeks. He came and died on a cross. Why? To pay the price the wage that was required to free us from our sin. To buy back that life that I forfeited and that you forfeited. So that we could actually regain, be restored to that perfect life again. So I want to tell you today that God 
with open arms and open hands today and every day and every moment is offering that same abundant, full life that we were built for as humans before sin came out to God saying, you can have it. It's yours. Come and take it. That eternal life. The life of God Himself. Over and above. So you can think about what real spiritual life would be and think about the garden, but I'm going to tell you, it is way beyond even that. It's more amazing and fulfilling and special and great than we can possibly imagine. It's, it, this life is more than enough, more than enough, abundantly more than enough to absolutely, completely satisfy any longing that you would ever have in your heart. Many in the room, you've had longings in your heart and you've tried a lot of things, a lot of things to fill those voids. And I'm telling you that this life that God, open arm welcomes us to take will go into that void and will fill it permanently to never long again. The life that God offers us is abundant and inexhaustible. Is there anything that you know of in the physical world that's inexhaustible, that never runs out? There isn't, is there? But the love of God, the life that He offers, is inexhaustible. You can use a good m amount of it and it doesn't dent the supply at all. So why, again, do we need life-changing things? Because we're way too used to the way that the world is around us as we walk through life. Because we're too quick over time to be beaten into a spot where we just think that's just the way it is. And we throw up our arms and, sat in our, and, and, and settle for our existence. We easily become like the man in the story. Focused on the trip. Even as Now this is talking to, to people who are followers of Christ when I say that part there. We're so focused on where we're going to end up in heaven, the trip, that we forget in getting to heaven that we completely fail to see the blessings and the life that God has planned for us while we're on that journey. That's really, that's really real. Come to Christ, you realize you're going to heaven and that's a great thing, but God has way more than just that. His intention is that we would increasingly taste of eternal life while yet on earth. That we would be able to begin to experience glimpses, taste, and it grows as we mature and walk closer to Him of what that perfect life actually will be like because that perfect life actually is ours already and we are experiencing it. It's just got to push through all the filters and all the garbage of our humanity. And the more that He strips away our humanity that we die to self, the more we begin to see and experience what He truly built us for. Why do we need life-changing things? Because reality, guys, we need something or we need some things in life to jolt us into the reality of what eternal spiritual life is, what it's meant for, and what it means to us and what its implications are. Because we are stuck in a temporary world, a temporal world of physical things. And the life-changing things are meant to jolt us into a reality, the real reality, which is the spiritual eternal things that have great meaning. tell you this this morning. That life is found in the presence of God. Look at this scripture, Psalm chapter 16. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This verse is saying that these things, full joy, pleasure forevermore, path of life. Where is it? In God's presence. That's where it is. In God's presence. In the presence of Him. In the presence of His Spirit. The psalmist here is making a statement that it's Jesus who can show us and will show us the path to life. That eternal and abundant life that can begin while we're still here on earth. And I want to tell you that the the, the life that we so long for, that we were built for, is found in God's presence. 
And so, if I can draw, you know, life-changing, from the thing that, life-changing events. What is a life-changing event? No, it's not when you had this epiphany and you met your wife or your husband. Although that can be part of God's plan. Life-changing events are those moments, those things, activities, a quiet time with that, with a group of people, whatever it is, where you, for whether it's a split second or for an extended period of time, you are in God's presence. It's tangible. It's real. You sense it in your spirit. And when that happens, life is imparted. And so as followers of Christ, if we are going to actually be mature followers of Christ who grow and bear fruit, we need life-changing events. We need places, situations, circumstances, activities where we enter into God's presence. We are still blocked because of our humanity and fallen earth from being in God's presence all the time, every day, without separation. We will not experience to that fullness until we go to be with Him in heaven. But He has made a way for us to have that opportunity to have life-changing events and life-changing circumstances where we encounter God's presence here on earth. There are people that when you came to church here the first time, you walked in the doors, you came in the door and you said, ooh, there was something about, I felt something. You couldn't put a word to it. Maybe you still can. I'm telling you, you know what it is? It's the presence of God. Maybe you also were reading in a devotional once. You can't put words to it and you're doing that and all of a sudden, a truth jumps off the page, goes into your brain and instantly down into your heart and there's something warm and fuzzy inside that you know what you just felt? The presence of God by His Spirit. Spiritual, true spiritual life is imparted in the presence of God. I don't want anyone that hears this to fail to see or to neglect to see what God has planned for them, for me, for you as individuals. The full, abundant, eternal life. I wish that it was possible for us to regularly have that occupy our minds. But that requires discipline for us to stop thinking of worldly things and think about spiritual truth. I desperately want God to remind each and every one of us during our days and during our weeks that He would remind us by His Spirit of the life that He actually has planned for us and what we could be and should be experiencing in Him. I don't want any one of us, I'm going to use a word here, I don't want any one of us to acquiesce. And what does acquiesce or acquiescence mean? It means to, to quietly just comply. It's kind of just, well, okay, I guess so. I don't want any of us to acquiesce that this is just the way life is, what we experience on this earth. We should not give in to this way. That's a tool of the enemy in his stealing, killing, and destroying. He wants us just to acquiesce through our arms and saying that's just the way it's supposed to be, rather than recognizing and dwelling on the fact of what God built us for and what His plan is and striving after that. Jesus came specifically to bring life to the fullest back to us, to bring it back to those that it was actually designed for in the first place. Thinking of our story, let's not be satisfied to just eat cheese and crackers when there's actually this immense, amazing spiritual buffet that's not only laid out, but it's been paid for and we're invited to partake of. And all we have to do is go into the dining hall and scoop up a good helping and eat it. Because it's all been paid for and taken care of. Let's not relegate ourselves to just eating cheese and crackers because of improper thinking. Let's remember this. When you get up tomorrow morning, let this be your prayer. God, don't let me be satisfied with just an ordinary life. And I'm not asking you to think and have aspirations of being famous and rich. If that's what you're thinking, you totally missed the point. 
When I'm saying ordinary, where all your focus tomorrow will just be on the physical things that you have to do. Let's pray tomorrow morning that, Lord, don't let me just focus on my ordinary life. Help me to remember that I am a child of the King, that I am made as a spiritual being to do spiritual things and to be connected with the God on high. You and I were meant to be vibrant, full of energy, spiritually speaking, to the point where if God has His way and we yield to that, you will walk into your place of employment tomorrow or wherever you go or your, your lunch date with somebody or your breakfast cup of coffee with somebody or into the grocery store and when you end that interaction, they'll sit there and scratch your head and say, what is it with that person? Because they will have experienced the presence of God through you whether you open your mouth or not and wonder what it is that makes you tick. Because I'll tell you, when spiritual life exudes out of us, it illuminates everybody around us because this world is actually a pretty dark place. Even though with the sun shining, or not sun shining, but even with the white outside, it's pretty bright. Spiritually speaking, it's pretty dark. In John 4, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, Jesus speaking, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. My question to you, now Jesus said this to what we call the woman at the well. A long explanation. You can go back in John chapter 4 read the whole story. But in the end, Jesus was talking to her as she was he was going to get a drink of water and watering sheep and a lot of work. Got to you know, walk to the well and get the water and a lot of work, all that kind of stuff there. And then you take a drink today and two hours later I'm thirsty and need more water. Jesus said, you know, that's what he says. Whoever drinks of the water that I give would never thirst again. In fact, the water that I give will actually go down into them and will become a, wa- a, a spring of water, a fountain of water that springs up into everlasting life. Do you realize he offered it to that woman back then, but you know what? He's offered it to every single person that's ever lived. He offers it to you today. And he's not talking about the glass of cold water that's going to quench your physical thirst. He's talking about the spiritual thirst you have, and he has water that if you drink of the water, spiritual water that he gives, the presence of God that he gives, it makes it possible for us that you won't thirst again. In fact, it becomes, this is great, it's not just that you won't thirst again, but that water goes inside and a miracle occurs and it starts to, that living water does what? It actually starts to bubble like a fountain does and does what? It comes up and then it, it pressurizes inside and it has to come out. And when it comes out, you know what it does? It spills all over people around you and they actually are able to drink of it and quench their spiritual thirst. Will you reach out today to take a drink of the spiritual water that Jesus is offering today? Well, you say, how do I do that? I know that there's things in my heart. Like if I, you know, there's a reason that Jesus told stories and he used real life examples. You, there's, there's probably many people this morning that in your heart somewheres, down in there, you say there's a whole annoying appetite, I'm longing for things. You could say there's a spot of my soul or my spirit or somewhere's in there that's actually thirsty. But I don't know what to give it to make it stop. The spiritual life, spiritual water that Jesus is talking about, the presence of God is what will satisfy and slake that thirst. How do you get it? What do I do? Ready? It's really simple. All you do is you ask for it. Give me that water. And then, what do you do? Tell God you're thirsty. Use your own language about the spot in your heart, whatever it happens to be. Tell Him you're hungry. Tell Him that you're longing for real life. Ask Him to fill that area with His presence, with His Spirit full to overflowing. And see what happens. Many people that do that for the first time, they, find, they can't find the words to express in that moment of time how things changed palpably. Our enemy wants to take even this message this morning. 
Right now, the seeds have been thrown in. For some of you, it's already started to sink in and will, and be, it will bear fruit in the future. But for some of you, it's still sitting on the surface. And if you don't do something with it very quickly, you know what's going to happen? The enemy, the devil, will come and he will snatch those seeds away and they will never bear into your heart. And you'll never really have the opportunity to truly really taste that. So I'm telling you, we're going to take a, a brief moment here where we bow our heads. And I want you to talk to Jesus himself as he's offering that spiritual water. You tell him about the area in your soul and your heart that needs to be filled. And you ask him to pour that water in there. And you receive that water and ask him to quench that thirst. Go ahead and do that right now. Some of you might be wondering, well, how long do I need to pray about this? And what if I don't use the right words? There's a beautiful thing. God reads our hearts. And you don't have to have the perfect words. All God's really looking for is our truthfulness with Him, our honesty with Him. He says, if you, you humans who know how to give good gifts, give good gifts to your children. Try to, best you can. Your Heavenly Father is perfect, and if you ask for something, that's what He's going to give you. So if you ask with a, with a, with a, with a, with a gnawing interest and desire for that true spiritual life and the water that would, that, would, that, would, that would quench the thirst in your soul, God's going to do that. He's going to see that that happens. And you say, well, what happens if I'm thirsty tomorrow? Ask again. Ask again. And what you're going to find that over time, as you continue to commune with God and spend time in His presence, that you will find the second part of this verse that will be true, which is what? You'll actually start to find that you've got a spring of living water that's bubbling up, that's automatically, before you even ask, is quenching your thirst. And you're going to find yourself with so much water, spiritual life inside of you, that you can't help but give it to other people. It's a miracle of what God does. Now, as we come to a close this morning, I want to tell you something. Ready? What we have experienced this morning is a life-changing event. You say, well, that's pretty presumptuous, Pastor. Because you told me that, the, that life-changing things only occur when the presence of God is here. I am absolutely convinced that God's presence is here. You know why? I look around the room and I know a lot of people who have asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, that are actively walking that. The Bible, and, 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 and there's a lot of people that are here for the sole purpose. They come expecting to hear from God. They come for God's purposes. Some are coming to serve so that we can receive. Other people are coming to receive because they're hungry. They came to this place for those reasons. Others of you, you don't know really how you got here this morning. You came because God pulled you and you answered. And I'm telling you that this Bible tells us that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. His presence is there. His presence is here. We have looked into the truth of God, which is also full of life. The Spirit is here. And so this is a life-changing event. The question is, did we take and receive from the life that God offered us through this event? Have we opened our hearts so that the presence of God can go beyond our crusty exterior and sink into our heart? God's present. He's spoken. He has offered life. He has offered spiritual water. That's what we need more than anything else. The question is, do we take and eat or do we satisfy ourselves with cheese and crackers? I don't know about you, I love cheese and crackers. I eat it every day for lunch in the physical. But when it comes to spiritual, I want a filet mignon. I don't want cheese and crackers. I want chicken Alfredo. I want all the good stuff. Notice I didn't mention any vegetables there. <laughs> Spiritually, we need to have the same mentality. And I want to satisfy that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Don't let us be satisfied with cheese and crackers. Lord, I pray that You would burn into our hearts, burn into our minds what You built us for. What it means to be made in Your image. What it means to be an eternal being. To recognize and understand that You placed within us a desire for spiritual things. To live eternally. To have abundant life. That You placed it there. Help us to recognize that even though we may not experience in its fullness, but You have offered us and given us freely a ticket that will get us to heaven, but also will pour blessings into our life and experience that life even now. Don't let us be satisfied with mere cheese and crackers or a substitute. Help us to have the discipline to come to You regularly to ask for the living water, to feast on the bounty that You put before us. Lord, help us to seek with all our being for life-changing events, which could be in the privacy of our own car or our prayer closet at home. Or it could be in a gathering or an actual event or a circumstance. But Lord, help us to key into our need, our desperation for the life-changing presence of God Almighty. And recognize that's all that's ever going to satisfy our longing in our heart. Help us to remember that you made us to more than survive, but that we're to thrive and live abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen closing song worship team's going to come up we're actually going to sing about it so some of you actually hear better and meditate better in song well the song we're going to sing is going to be a reiteration of a lot of what was said in the sermon this morning